The New Testament reading is taken from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came, baptising with water, was that he may be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I was at a dinner party uh, the other week talking with someone. I can't remember what the conversation was about exactly. Uh, it was one of these these normal dinner party conversations. We were talking about the weather or, or football or existential dread, you know, these normal normal Cambridge sorts of uh, conversations. And then suddenly I, I realized that, um, or I remembered that this person I was talking to was a psychologist. Has that happened to you? Uh, I, I suddenly remember they're a psychologist and they've probably been analyzing me this entire time. And, and so the dinner party conversation uh, it, 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 the whole thing changes, and I start to think, oh, you know, they're, they're going to say I'm a kleptomaniac or I'm a, I'm a hypochondriac. I mean, I don't even know what these words mean, uh, but that's exactly it. My fear, my fear is that this person knows me better than I know myself. They know me better than I know myself, and what if they tell me something about myself, something true, that I don't want to know? Nietzsche says something related to this. He says, we could measure our strength by how much truth we can stand. We can measure our strength by how much truth we can stand. And I, and I think knowledge about ourselves, that can be some of the hardest truth to stand. 
Or what about knowledge of God? These are the kinds of truths that John claims to be talking about in the start of this book. So our text today comes from the first chapter of John, from one of the accounts of the life of Christ. And John begins by calling Christ the Word. He writes there in verse 1 that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now, I don't know where you are with these claims. Maybe you, maybe you don't agree with this. Maybe you're investigating Christianity. Uh, maybe you disagree that, that God and Christ exist outside time, that God and Jesus Christ create all things. Can I just say that I respect uh, this, this point of view because these are great claims, incredible claims. I, and I think in some ways I'm too familiar with them. Augustine, he quotes a philosopher who said these words. He said these words in John that, that begin our book today, that they should be written in gold and hung in every church. So if you're skeptical, then you're in a good position to appreciate the size of John's argument. So let's think seriously about his claims here. John tells us that through Christ all things were made. That we were made through him. That he knows us better than we know ourselves. Or to put it another way, there is no truth about us that Jesus cannot stand. So that's the opening of the book. And the question raised here is what would it be like to meet this Jesus? To meet the person who knows every truth about me? I don't even let Mark Zuckerberg know everything about me. (laughs) Uh, But this is is what's so surprising about our text today. Because immediately, after introducing these truths, John says that Christ made his dwelling among us. That we should be comforted by him. We should be comforted by Christ, the same Christ who knows us better than we know ourselves. So let's think about why this is. There's many reasons, but we'll look at two reasons that John gives here in our text today. The first, the first is where Christ is, and the second is what Christ does. So two reasons to be comforted by Jesus Christ. Our first point, where is Christ? Well, let's look at verses 19 to 28. And to set this up, let me first introduce two important characters. On the one hand, there's John the Baptist. This is a a different John from the author of our book. Uh, he's, He's a different John, but he believes the same truths. So John the Baptist believes that Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning, and that through him all things were made. And John is teaching these truths by baptizing people. So he's known as John the Baptist. That's our first character today, the believer. And the next character is who we'll call the unsure. Now, this is a set of characters for us, really. It includes the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees who are asking spiritual questions. And they're asking serious questions. They're men of learning, gravity, and authority. Scholars, historians, and religious teachers. And for our purposes, we can group them together into one and refer to them as the unsure. They just aren't sure what to make of John and his claims. 
Look down with me at verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? There's a lot to say about these verses, but, you know, what I find interesting about them is that they're the questions of the spiritually restless. Now, the first audience of this gospel would have recognized this. The Jews knew that that God had led their forefathers out of slavery in Egypt, that God had brought them to the promised land. Yet at the time when this book was written, the promised land was occupied by the Roman army. And these Jews were waiting for God to rescue them, to send the Christ to establish a new government. I'm reminded of a hymn by Isaac Watts, which, which opens with the question, How long, O Lord, shall I complain like one that seeks his God in vain? Canst thou thy face forever hide, and I still pray and be denied? And, and this is what the, these priests and Levites would be asking. Are we waiting for God in vain? Are we praying to an empty room? They're spiritually restless. They're unsure if John the Baptist is the one they've been waiting for. And how does John answer? In verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Betharabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, I think it's easy to see a kind of tension between the Jews here and John the Baptist, to set them in opposition to one another. A tension between the unsure on the one hand and the believer on the other. But think how much they have in common. The Jews are spiritually restless, waiting for their Savior, investigating, asking questions. And John, he is restless too. He's a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He's crying out to prepare the way for Christ for the Christ through whom we were created. There stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. This is the first reason to take comfort. The one that the priests and John the Baptist are waiting for is coming to be with them. Take comfort because of where Christ is. He is with those who are waiting for him. He is among them, and he will reveal himself. He is with those who are waiting for him. Because this this word, this Son of God, through whom all things were made, 
has become man. He's living among those who are waiting for him and will reveal himself to them. The comfort for us is similar. For the unsure, for those who don't, don't yet agree with John's claims, sometimes that's, that's how I feel when I come to church. I don't feel certain. I'm unsure. I complain like one who seeks his God in vain. I feel like God is hiding his face from me. And John says that God recognizes our spiritual restlessness, that he is among those who are waiting for him and will reveal himself to them. And there's comfort for the believer, too, for those in the situation of John the Baptist. He finds himself in a crowd being asked questions about his faith. What does he do? He points to Christ. The comfort is that God does not require us to perform a a certain task or to behave a certain way, to argue or to persuade. All we do is refer back to Christ, the one whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. We take comfort because Christ is here. He is among those who are waiting for him and will reveal himself to them. One of the great playwrights last century was Terence Radigan. He's gone through something of a revival lately. I'm not sure if you've seen any of his work at the National. They've been performing some of his famous plays like Devil in the Deep Blue Sea um, or the Browning version. And my wife and I were watching one of his plays the other night entitled All on Her Own. It opens with two women standing outside on the street one evening. Don't you ever feel lonely, one says to the other. No, answers her friend. Who could ever feel lonely in London? Well, this exchange is how the play begins. Who could ever feel lonely in London? Who could ever feel lonely in Cambridge? Well, well, that's what Rosemary says to her friend when they're on the street outside. But when she says goodnight, she climbs the stairs to her home and shuts the door. She pours herself a whiskey. She sits down on the sofa. And then as she sits in her house, the only sound, the only sound that can be heard is the tick of her grandfather clock. We realize that she is lonely indeed. So lonely, in fact, that the rest of the play is a conversation. Well, it's a a monologue, really. It's a monologue she has with her late husband. You might, you, might, you might just answer me, she says to an empty room. You never know. There's a range of emotion there. But I bring up this play to ask, is this the Christian faith? On the street outside we laugh and ask, how could anyone be lonely in church? But inside, when we're alone, we have a conversation that's really a monologue, a conversation with an empty room. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. That's history, isn't it? That's all scripture. That's life. The next day, John saw Jesus 
coming toward him. The restlessness, the questioning, it is met by the person of Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. But where's the concern? Isn't Christ the same person whose sandals John said he wasn't worthy to untie? This amazes me that when John meets Christ, he is comforted. When Norman Mailer comes face to face with Muhammad Ali, how's this for a contrast? This comes from the opening of the fight, Norman Mailer's account of the fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman in 1974. Mailer says of Ali that there was always a shock in seeing him again. Not live as in television, but standing before you, looking his best. Then the world's greatest athlete is in danger of being our most beautiful man. And the vocabulary of camp is doomed to appear. Women draw an audible breath. Men look down. They are reminded again of their lack of worth. But John, when he meets the one who was with God in the beginning... John, John is reminded of his lack of worth. But he is comforted. And the reason for this, the reason why John is comforted by Christ's presence is because of what Christ does. John calls Christ the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the Jews would have understood this title. Every year the priests and the Levites would sacrifice lambs in the temple as a way to restore the people's relationship with God. So the idea is that God, because of his holiness, is separated from us because of our rebellion against him. And to restore our relationship, a price must be paid. John is saying here that Christ, the one through whom all things were made, is the Lamb of God. Over the course of the book of John, we'll see Christ fulfill this identity. We see Christ's sacrifice to pay for our rebellion. Now, can I just say, maybe for some of us, this sounds like an angry God. How could we worship such a God? An angry God who sacrifices his own son? Tim, Tim Keller, he's an American pastor who addresses this point when he says that all forgiveness of any deep wrong and injustice entails suffering on the forgiver's part. I find this very profound. Forgiveness we require suffering. It hurts. It hurts to forgive. And what's surprising, what John finds comforting, you see, God, God does not demand our blood, but offers his own. This is the reason that John worships God. 
Christ is holy. He is perfect. He is with God in the beginning. He is eternal. He is with God. And yet he becomes a man. He takes our sin. He leaves the presence of God. This is how the sacrifice works. Christ takes our sin. We receive his reward. He is sent away from God so that we can be brought close to the heart of God. He's led to the cross so that we can be led home. A God we are restless to know comes among us, reveals himself to us, and brings us close. The application here as we close is to ask ourselves, how can we recognize Christ coming towards us? Because I think, actually, we, we resist this in different ways. But why not take comfort in this truth by, by reading and studying John's account of this extraordinary event? We'll be doing that this year as we preach through the book of John. But why not join with someone one-to-one and read John together? There's a book the church is using now, uh, which is made specifically for this purpose. It's very straightforward. It's a very straightforward study, and it's a perfect way of learning more of asking questions like those in our text today. If that's of interest, please please talk to Rob or, or myself afterward uh, to, join, to join one of these studies. But we also take comfort in Christ by acknowledging that he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. This means asking forgiveness for our sin by speaking honestly to God about these things. And then accepting that God has forgiven us, not to hold on to it, that it's, that it's a truth that affects everything about us, even the way we walk into a room and start a conversation. I find it so humbling to remember that I need forgiveness, to remember that Christ knows every truth about me, that he knows me better than I know myself. But what a comfort it is to know that he draws near to me to take away my sin. Let's pray to him now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you created us and know us. Help us to take comfort in you and your knowledge of us and what you have done for us. Amen.